Peter chapter four. First Peter four, while you're turning there, I have to say how impressed I am with both Mike and Rachel. Uh, Rachel, you got a workout tonight. And uh, we were just hurling hymns at you. I bet she'd never heard some of those and she played them like a pro. So, Mike, not bad, not bad. So all except the ship ahoy. That was a little rough, but you nailed everything else. Amen. You did pretty good with that one, too, considering you never heard it. But I'm thankful for our staff. I'm thankful for Pastor Dave and all his work. Uh, we ha- uh, he hosted our missionary today, did a fine job with that. We got to eat with him after church and him and Krista just put so much into this place. And so thankful for him for that. And then Mike and Rachel and we just have quite a team around here. I, I'm just lucky I get to work with them. So so thankful for him. First Peter chapter four tonight. I really debated on whether or not to preach the sermon. As a pastor that prepares sermons all the time. Sometimes, you know, when you've got a sermon that just might be a little bit better than uh, the other sermons you prepare. I really strive to put excellence into everything I do when it comes to sermon prep. Um, when you feel like you've got a good one and you know the crowd's going to be small, the temptation is to preach another sermon. And I've got two sermons in my Bible right now. And I came here, came to the pulpit here. Actually, I sat there during that last song and I, I prayed and asked the Lord, I said, what would you have me preach? And God does not audibly speak to me. If God audibly speaks to you, then you are hearing voices and that's not of the Lord, amen? But I feel as though he was leading me to guiding me to preach the sermon I had originally planned uh, tonight. So that's what we're going to do. First Peter chapter 4, let's stand tonight for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read from verse 12 down through verse number 14. The Bible says there, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice Inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Tonight we're going to preach another sermon, another installment in our Lift Him Up series. This one's entitled, Lifting Him Up. Through our trials, lifting him up through our trials, a subtitle for it could be when God puts our faith on trial, when God puts our faith on trial. Let's pray. Lord, I pray tonight you'd uh, help guide me, guide my thoughts. Lord, hide me behind your cross. And Lord, I pray that I would not be uh, the object that's seen, but Lord, the truth would be that which is seen and lifted up and glorified and edified. And Lord, I pray that this sermon for many who are struggling through trials right now would be a healing balm. Lord, would be a help to them. Lord, I pray that those here that are not going through trials, surely we all know people who are. Uh, Lord, I pray that it would be a help to be able to, us to be able to encourage others. Lord, I pray tonight that you would um, guide us, meet, meet with us. Holy Spirit of God, we beg you to have freedom to move in and out of the pews and work in our hearts. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be malleable and pliable to change. And Lord, may we tonight see results, God, that please you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. 
as we talk through, as we walk through the Christian life, it is a guarantee that you and I will face difficulties. Those difficulties can be explained a number of ways, but maybe the simplest way to break down difficulties would be with two words. Trials and temptations. Trials and temptations. These are a prominent part of your life and my life. And because of that, you hear them talked about a whole lot when you come to church. Is there a difference between a trial and a temptation? Is there a difference between a trial and a temptation? I once heard it explained this way. A temptation is Satan's attempt to get you to do wrong, while a trial is God's attempt to get you to do right. Let me say that again. A temptation is Satan's attempt to get you to do wrong, while a trial is God's attempt to get you to do right. In both scenarios, whether it's a trial or a temptation, whether or not we choose to do right, that choice is totally left up to you and I. We have got to choose how we're going to respond. When we stop and think of a trial, what is it that we think of? In the sense of a spiritual trial, we may think of medical problems, right? Several people in our church right now are carrying some pretty heavy medical problems. For those that came in a little late, I mentioned in the uh, opening that uh, Mike Varro was taken to the emergency room this afternoon with severe headaches. And so the Varro family, they have been through the ringer with medical problems, haven't they? And we're praying that this is something minor and he's given some medicine and he's checked out and everything's okay. Medical problems. I think of Mike Scarpetti sitting over here and God's putting him on public display with a medical problem with the, uh, the nerves that have been damaged in his legs. The struggle it is for him even to walk. Mike, God's putting you on trial a little bit. God's putting you through a trial. Others here, some may be a little more private. Uh, and would not uh, want them mentioned out loud, but you're carrying about you right now a medical problem and you're going through a trial. Some people are going through a spiritual trial of stress and a relationship that is totally out of their control. If you could fix the problem in your relationship with whoever it is, you would do it in a heartbeat. You want reconciliation but they don't want reconciliation. You want reconciliation, but they're not willing to meet you halfway. They're not even willing to budge and turn and look at you. And it breaks your heart. Whether it's a child that's become an adult and doesn't want to have a relationship with you. Whether it's a mother or a father. Uh, whether it's a brother or sister. A brother and sister in Christ. These can be trials. We may think of financial struggles that come about by some unexpected bill. You ever get one of those bills in the mail? You're like, where did this come from? What is this? Shortly after we were married, uh, I had a, a piece of mail that had one of those redirect address stickers put on. You know, the yellow ones that you never moved and then you wouldn't know what it is. But if you moved around several times like uh, we have, you, you see them quite a bit. We got a... 
a bill in the mail for it was close to a couple thousand dollars from a hospital in in Indiana. And I thought to myself, this bill has got to be three years old. What is this? I have never seen this bill from this hospital before. After some research and some digging, the person who copied down my insurance information at the hospital got one of the letters wrong. And so the insurance was rejected and the bill or the address they had on file was not the correct address. And so years later, the bill finally makes it to me and I'm stuck paying this and I'm also stuck with my credit severely dinged. We didn't have the money. We didn't have the money. We had to make small uh, payments on it. And for us, that was a big trial. That was a big trial. Maybe you have a, a bill that comes your way and you just didn't see it coming. Maybe your roof begins to leak. You don't have the insurance to cover that. Or uh, there is uh, some major appliance that gives up the ghost and you've got to run to the store and spend four or five, six hundred dollars on uh, an appliance that you, and you just honestly don't have it. Maybe financial struggles come in the way of a loss of a job or uh, unemployment of some sorts. And you just feel like that you're 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 on or you're you're in this financial struggle that you just can't seem to break away from. Maybe you're in a spiritual struggle that has uh, uh, God has led you uh, out of a comfort zone. He's commanded you to do something that you're just not comfortable with. Sometimes I get up here and preach on the bus ministry or I'll preach on working in the nursery. We always need more nursery workers. Amen. Uh, I'll preach on a need that we have and encourage someone to get up and help in that. And you sit there frozen in the pew, frozen in the pew. And you think, I can't do that. I could never do that. You feel that little nudge on the inside of your heart. You, you need to volunteer. That's for you. You think, no, not me. The pastor talks about soul winning, getting out and sharing your, your, your faith. And you head out to the track rack and you get a handful of tracks. And then you're there and there's that person. You feel the Holy Spirit nudge you. Hey, take that, take that track out of your pocket or out of your purse and hand it to that person. And you think, out of your pocket, hand it to that person. You think, I... I can't do it. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I can't do it. And there is that spiritual struggle, that trial. So when we think of the word trial, we think of it in terms of what I have just talked about. In fact, going to church for 33 years, I've heard sermons preached on trial after sermons and sermons and sermons preached on trials out of the Bible. And that is always the light that I've heard it uh, talked about. But this week in my study, it dawned on me that the word trial has a totally different idea behind it as well. How about in a legal sense? How about trials in a legal sense? A trial is when someone is taken to court and they are judged by a judge or by a jury of their peers. Their testimony is put to the test and their innocence uh, or guilt is put on trial. Can I say tonight that if you're going through a trial, God has put you on trial. He's put your faith on trial. No, he's not put you on trial to see if you're guilty of committing some egregious crime. Rather, he's putting you on trial to test how strong your faith in God really is. 
Our theme this year is lift him up or lift up Christ. When God puts us in a trial, he wants us to lift him up during our trials. Notice the preposition there during you're going through a trial and, uh, and and you know that God has put that faith of yours on trial and you're 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 just not really sure about how things are going to turn out and there's a lot of uncertainties involved and 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 you know that God has got you in the, his courtroom and he's got your faith on trial what can you do what is your best defense lift up Christ just lift him up Hold him up high and, and, and look at him and say, I will not doubt you. Not one bit. Because I know what you're doing's best. And I want to say this as well. Not only should we lift him up during our trial, we should lift him up because of our trials. What I see a lot of Christians do when they hit a hard time is they drop their head and they throw a pity party. Well, I just can't believe how bad my life is. I just can't believe how hard things are. Brother, you just don't know how hard I have it. And I can't believe that God is so unfair that He would put me through this. And I would say this, that God wants you to put Him, lift Him up because of your trial. You know that mentality I just, just uh, illustrated for you. That is the mentality of either weak, anemic Christians or people who are not saved at all. You see, we live our life thinking, boy, if I can just be on the mountaintop, and my mountaintop can just stay a mountaintop, if I can just stay on the mountaintop, that will be great. And then all of a sudden, boom, we get dropped in the valley. And we're like, man, I miss the mountaintop. It is a mature Christian who says, my flesh does not enjoy the valley. But I see the significance and the importance of the valley. And I can learn to embrace the valley. I can embrace it because of what it does to my Christian walk. You lift up Christ not only during your trials, but you lift up Christ because of your trials. Tonight I'd like for us to look at five truths. Five truths on this concept of lifting up Christ through our trials, or when God puts our faith on trial. Number one, notice first, the author, the author of our trials. Look back with me at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 7. The Bible says there that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold. This is 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7, just a couple pages over there. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, James tells us, James chapter 1 tells us that God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So temptations are Satan authored, but all trials, every one of them are authored by God himself. God handpicks the trials and He assigns the trials to each and every one of us that He wants us to go through. Sometimes those trials are permitted by God and orchestrated by God. Let me give you an example. Take your Bibles over to Hebrews chapter 11. You're there in 1 Peter. It should just be a few pages from where you're at. Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be back in 1 Peter quite a bit, so hold your place there. Hebrews chapter 11. We find where God both 
uh, um, originates the trial and he orchestrates the trial. Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse 17, and we see some very key words to our sermon. It says there, by faith, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac and uh, that uh, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. So God comes in Genesis 22. God comes to Abraham and he says, I want you to take your only son and I want you to take him to a place I'll show you. And I want you to take him up on a mountain. and I want you to plunge a knife into his chest and I want you to sacrifice him. This trial was God's idea and this trial was 100 percent orchestrated by God. There are many other examples I could take you to, but for sake of time, uh, I'll let you think of those on your own. Sometimes those trials in our lives are permitted by God, but they're orchestrated by Satan. Sometimes God originates the trial, and then He has Satan carry out the trial. Take your Bibles over to Job chapter 1, and we'll see exactly an example of this. And I'm going to two examples that we're all very familiar with. I probably could have found some obscure trial in the Bible. It would have taken me more time to explain it. I chose these because we're already familiar uh, with these ideas. Job chapter 1. And you say, well, it was Satan that came up with all the things to do to, to uh, Job. And I would say this. Who brought Job's name up to begin with? Well, we find that here in Job chapter 1. Look at verse 8. The Bible says, and the Lord said unto Satan, notice it's the Lord initiating the conversation. Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth or hateth evil? Verse 9, then Satan answered the Lord and said, doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. Uh, But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, notice who orchestrated the trial. Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. So God brought up Job's name. And God waved and dangled that one out there in front of Satan and said, have you considered this guy? Now, here's the thing. God could look into Job's heart and see his character. Satan could not. Satan can study the pattern of your life. And he could come up with his idea of uh, who you are or what you are. Uh, but he really cannot look inside of you with x-ray glasses and see your character. But God can God can. And God said, I am going to let Job go through a trial and I'm going to allow Satan to orchestrate that trial. So we see the author of our trial. So tonight I would tell you this is that sometimes in your life you might feel like you're under some sort of satanic attack and you ask, Pastor, is this a temptation or a trial? And I would say anytime you're tempted to sin, that's from Satan. But anytime your, your, your faith feels like it's being pushed to its limits. That's the Lord. That's the Lord. Number two. Truth number two, we see the affliction of our trial. Go back to First Peter chapter 4 with me. The affliction of our trial. The Bible tells us there, beginning in verse 12, it says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the... Can we read the next word out loud together? Concerning the fiery... Together, ready? Fiery trial, which is to try you, 
as though some strange thing happened unto you. Look down at verse 16 of 1 Peter chapter 4. Look there, it says, Yet if any man suffer, if any man suffer as a Christian. Look down at verse 19. The Bible says, Wherefore let them that suffer, suffer. Go back with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7. The Bible says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Notice this, though it be tried with fire, tried with fire may be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Peter uses the refining of gold to make a point about our faith, about our faith. He parallels gold to our faith. In fact, he says that our faith is more precious than gold. You look at how much mankind values gold. It's the most precious metal on the earth. God says that your faith is more valuable than that. I'd like to, to um, uh, in preparation for my sermon this week, I went to YouTube to see how gold was refined and the process touched my heart. I'd like to show you about an eight-minute video clip. And the process that we're going to show you is more barbaric than where it is now, but it wouldn't have been quite as barbaric as it would have been when Peter wrote this. But you'll get the idea of how gold was refined during the time of which Peter wrote this. As you watch this video, think about what trials are supposed to do to you and I. Let's roll it.
ไปเลยนะเออเออเนี่ยเอาเข้าไปใส่ก็ร่วมกันเลยเออมันจะใช้สีหน้าเออเวลากลับไปนะบ่เรื่องบ่เรื่องลงไล่เถอะบ่มัน
we find the story of exactly what it is God is trying to refine or purify, the dross, the lead that He's trying to get out of our lives so that our faith can be more pure. And we find a biblical example of this very thing. Mark chapter 9, look with me at verse 17. We'll read down through verse 25. The Bible says, And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And whosoever, uh, and wheresoever he, uh, where, excuse me, wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him. And he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to the disciples, uh, and that they should cast him out, and they could not. Jesus turns here, verse 19, and watch what he says. He answereth him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. So this father comes to Jesus Christ distressed because his son is possessed with the devil and this demon is just throwing his son around everywhere. And the man comes to him with his heart broken, uh, hoping that Jesus can do something but beginning to doubt because the disciples weren't able to do anything. And Jesus looks at him and very, uh, uh, we don't know the tone of Jesus' words, but one would assume by reading here that he looked at him with disbelief and he said, Oh, faithless generation, you lack faith. Verse 20. And they brought uh, uh, him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit teared him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said of a child. And oftentimes they have cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. That's Satan's goal is to destroy you, by the way. But if thou canst do anything, if, if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You can see here the man is lacking in faith. Totally lacking in faith. He says, if you can do something. Now contrast this with the centurion who said, uh, you don't need to come to my house. You can say the word and he'll be healed. This man lacks faith. Look at verse 23. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter no more into him. This man's faith was weak. His son had been possessed with a demon. This man had felt the fire, the fire of the trials of life, from having a child in his house that was demon-possessed. Now, you may not think your ch children behave very well, but I doubt your child is throwing himself in fire and throwing himself in water, attempting to burn and drown himself to death. This man had had the, his faith put on trial. The fire had been turned up hot, and his unbelief at this passage had come to the surface and God said, I can heal him according to your faith. And the man cried out and he said, I believe. 
help thou my unbelief. What does that fire do? The fire of trials do. It brings our unbelief to the surface so that we can see it and identify it and get rid of it. I don't know which Christian here today is the closest to Christ. But can I tell you that no matter where you're at in the process, we all have impurities in our faith that need to be brought to the top and need to be taken off so that our faith can be even more pure and even more shiny for the Lord. Truth number one, we see the author of our trials. Truth number two, the affliction of our trials. Look at truth number three, our attitude toward trials. Look back in verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 4. Now buckle your seatbelts here because what we're going to be getting into in this part of the sermon is what I would like to label more of an advanced Christianity. This is where Christ wants you to grow to. This is a place that it took Peter a rather it took Paul, the Apostle Paul a while to get there. And I believe it probably took Peter, who wrote the book, time to get there as well. Look at verse 12. It says, Beloved, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering. Notice that word rejoice. That when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad. Also with exceeding joy, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Most people look at their faith being put on trial is a bad thing. We hope to live on easy street. Easy street. We hope that trials steer clear of us like we hope that that mailer about jury duty steers clear of our mailbox. You get jury duty, it's like, oh, inconvenience my life. And then you go and you hope you don't get picked, right? You go through life hoping that trials steer clear of you. Christian, God wants your attitude to grow to a place where you look forward to and you embrace the trying of your faith. What should your attitude be? It should be rejoicing. Rejoicing. You say, but pastor, the Bible says three times in 1 Peter 4, it uses the word fire, it uses the word suffering, it uses those words three times. So we're supposed to suffer and then we're supposed to rejoice? Pastor, that is crazy. And I say to you today that when you can see what the suffering brings about, then you can begin rejoicing. Then you can begin being exceeding glad. Number four, we see our association in trials. When our faith is put on trial, who is it that we are associated with? Think back to Job. Again, this trial was God's idea, but God used Satan to orchestrate the trial. Trials come in many forms, but if the tough time is God testing your faith, then indeed it is a trial. Go back over with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verse 17. Uh, there and th- this here, this passage here lays the groundwork for our association. Who it is we're associated with in our trials? Who it is that we're tied 
two in our trial. Look there at verse 17 of John chapter 15. With me, the Bible says, These things I command you, that ye love one another. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the words that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. What's the idea here is that Jesus said, you are not greater than your master. If they're going to persecute me, they're going to persecute you. And this may be God saying, uh, I'm going to allow persecution to come on your life, but it is to try your faith. Letter A, we see the enemy's attack. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14. Notice the word there, reproached. It says, if ye be reproached. Reproached for the name of Christ. Happy are you for the Spirit of God and the glory, uh, Spirit, the Spirit of glory of God rests upon you. On their part, He is evil spoken of, but on your part, He is glorified. Now, the word reproach is an interesting word. If you look at the word reproach in modern English dictionaries, you get a very different definition than what it meant when the word was translated into the English language back in the 1600s. Write down this if you're taking notes tonight. The word reproach means to disgrace or to discredit through attacks. To disgrace or to discredit through attacks. What is Satan trying to do to you? He's trying to disgrace you. What does it mean to disgrace? It means to rip away any sense of grace in your life. Any sense of grace. It is to treat someone the opposite of gracefully. It is to be as ugly and mean and nasty and hateful. I don't know if anyone saw this uh, poll that came out uh, recently, but uh, 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 people that are on the left end of the political spectrum were, were, uh, were polled, and they were asked, do you believe that Christians, Mormons, and Jews are just as dangerous as Muslims? 66% said they felt that Christians, Muslims, and Jews are just as dangerous as Muslims. 66%. You know why? Because Christianity has been discredited. It's been disgraced. Why? Because our Savior, in their minds and hearts, has been discredited. He's been disgraced. My friend, you're not better than your Master. If they're going to punish him and put him through trials, they're going to punish him and whip him and kill him. We are no greater than that. God is going to use those things to better us. Let it be, we see the enemy's ambition. What is it the enemy's after? Look at verse 15 of 1 Peter chapter 4. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evil doer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory God on this behalf. What was uh, Peter telling uh, the, the, the various churches that he wrote this letter to? He was saying this, he was saying, if you are going to be discredited, if you're going to be disgraced, let it be because they hate your God, not because they have found some hypocrisy in your life. 
Don't let them be able to uncover some evil doing in your life that you have tried to keep under wraps. And now it's brought out in the open air. And it's brought out in the public. And now they have reviled you. They have discredited you. They have, uh, they have reproved you. They have disgraced you because you have been an embarrassment to the cause of Christ. You remember uh, in, in the Old Testament when David committed his sin, uh, one prophet put his finger in, his, uh, in David's face. He says, you've given the enemies of God reason to mock. Reason to mock. My friend, I don't want that to be my testimony. And I don't want it to be yours. You say, oh, but nobody knows about what I'm doing. Nobody knows about what I've done. Listen, the day's going to come where as Christians we're going to be persecuted whether or not we have anything, uh, uh, any dark secrets hidden in a closet. But when you have those in your closet, my goodness, Satan's going to make sure they get drugged out in the open and they're going to be shown to everyone. And you will be discredited and the name of Jesus Christ will be embarrassed. Satan wants nothing more than to discredit and disgrace our faith. Listen, on, while your faith is on trial, you have on one side the Lord Jesus Christ who is trying to see that faith reproved and purified and made better. On the other side, you've got Satan who's trying to pollute and corrupt and accuse. That's the enemy's ambition. Let us see, we see the Christian's allegiance. Look back with me in 1 Peter chapter 4, and verse 14. The Bible says, If ye be reproached, for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Watch this. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of. But on your part, he is glorified. With whom is our allegiance when we uh, suffer through a trial? It is the spirit of glory. Or the spirit of heaven. It is the spirit of God. Who is the spirit of God? Well, it is the Holy Spirit of God. The Christian's allegiance. The Christian's allegiance. When we suffer, we suffer, and, and the people in heaven see that, and they're able to identify with us. I think of all the martyrs that have gone on to heaven. I think of missionaries that have gone to some head-hunting, cannibalistic land, and within hours of being there, they're in a pot being boiled and then being eaten. I think of people who are burned at the stake. I think of people who've been shot and killed and put in jail to rot and die. And they're martyrs in heaven. And they look down on us when we suffer, when we are put through a trial that is God-authored uh, God and Satan-orchestrated. And they think uh, they, they're, they're in heaven and they're that cloud of witnesses looking down on us. And they say, your faith is being tried. But for the glory of heaven, stand up and stand tall and do what's right. Who are we aligned with? Who is our allegiance with? Well, it's with Christ. But on top of that, it's with all the saints that have gone on before us. But it's also the glory of the Spirit of God. Our allegiance is with the Spirit of God. It's with the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. Letter D here, in point number three, I believe, or point number four, we see the Christian's award. The Christian's award. Look back with me at 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 14. Please catch what I'm about to cover here. It says, if you be reproached, can we read that next phrase out loud together and do it loud? If you be reproached for the name of Christ. Read it together again. If you be reproached for the, for the name of Christ. 
Whose name are we being reproached for? It's his name. It's his name. I think of uh, the Apostle uh, Paul. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, it says this, that I may know him. Oh, we want to know the victories of Christ, right? The power of his resurrection. That's the victory. Oh, I want to know the victories. I want the mountaintop, Pastor. Wait a minute. Paul didn't just want to know the mountaintops. He said this, in the fellowship of his suffering. Paul said, I don't just want to know the mountaintops. I want to know the valleys. I want to walk in the valley. And I want to embrace it. Paul's attitude was this. I have learned to appreciate the furnace. I think of um, I think of the life I've lived. We uh, candidated at a church in Lockport, Illinois, while we were serving as an assistant pastor in Glen Burnie, Maryland. I thought I had convinced myself that the reason why I was candidating there was because I was ready to pastor. I was not ready to pastor. I had convinced myself I was, but I was not ready to pastor. You say, then why were you candidating there? Because the church where I was, the pastor was attempting to push me out. There's no other way to say it. He wanted me gone. He was doing everything he could to make my life miserable. So we found a church that uh, deacon board that showed some interest in us. Great men. Those deacons are great men. They brought us out there. The whole family had a wonderful weekend. Candidated. The question and answer time was quite dicey. I have been complimented on how well I handled the question and answer session here. I had some practice. Amen. I had some practice. It was not. It did not go so smooth at the previous place. When we got back on the plane, come home, I remember sitting next to Angela on the plane and I told her, I said, if we're voted down, we're going to be out on the street. We're going to be gone. Sure enough, the vote came back and no vote. They did not want us. You say, why did they vote you in? Well, because they just weren't as nice as you guys are. Amen. I remember calling my boss who happened to be the pastor of the church and telling him that I didn't get the vote. And about a week and a half later he called me in his office and he told me that he had hired somebody to replace me. And it was time for us to move on. And he wasn't going to make me leave right then but we need to be out soon. And he wouldn't give me a date. Angel and I had poured four years of our life into loving those folks. We had taken a Spanish church of about five folks and we had grown it to about 50 folks. I taught a young adult couples class of about 40 people. And I wasn't even allowed to say goodbye to my couples class. I was told not to show up for Spanish church. And then the pastor realized he didn't have anybody to run the Spanish church. And so he changed his mind and let me go in and and say goodbye to the folks in the Spanish church. I remember as we loaded up the moving truck and moved into a about an 800 square foot apartment 
in Terryville inside a church building. Most of our stuff went in storage. And I went from being a professional pastor to working an entry-level job rolling tires off a truck in Bridgeport and New Haven and East Haven and Stratford. I remember how bewildered I was. I remember my attitude not being one that said, Turn up the fire of the furnace, Lord. Refine my faith. That was not my attitude. My attitude was, What in the world are you doing to me, God? What are you doing? Listen, I don't want to be driving a truck. Listen, a bunch of guys cuss at me every morning. I don't want to be rolling tires off the end of the truck. I want a Bible in my head. I want to preach. I want to reach souls for you as a profession. What are you doing? Heaven was silent. Heaven was silent. God was turning up the furnace in our lives. I remember many mornings I'd get up at 4.30 in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning. My poor wife would get up with me to make me breakfast and get me out the door. And after I left later, she admitted that she'd sit in that little chair in that little apartment where you could sit in the living room and put your feet out into the kitchen. And she would seethe with anger over what had been done to us. And I told her, I said, listen, you got to quit getting up with me in the morning. you just got to sleep. It's better that you sleep than you get up and you let that boil your blood. Remember the day we walked the aisle of that little church there in Terryville. Pastor Towsley, the priest of Valentine's banquet for us last night, he was our pastor. I remember we joined that church and Angela was a crying, weeping mess. I remember Matthew tugging on Angela's arm. He was quite younger than, three years younger than, saying, Mommy, what's wrong? Why are you crying? I did not understand what God was doing to us. We would move uh, nine months later, and I would get a job inspecting homes. And I would drive, I think in about three months' time, I put a little over 10,000 miles on that little green car I own, inspecting homes. And I was carrying a load as an assistant pastor for free while I was doing that. And I remember uh, walking through deep snow that was sometimes up close to my waist, Especially when I took the, the trip up here in, in upstate New York and thinking to myself, God, I don't want to be taking pictures of a bunch of empty homes. I want to be preaching the gospel. There were some relational struggles that Angel and I went through with other people in our lives. Really, really deep lows. One day I woke up and I looked back over my life And I saw how the fire had refined my faith. And I looked up to heaven and I said, God, thank you for the fire. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't want it. But thank you. Then I said this to the Lord. I said, God, if you need to turn up the fire again to keep making me better, you have every, you, I have, you have a green light for me to do it. I will not stand in your way. I will embrace the furnace. 
Today, some of you sit out here and you say, Pastor, what is my award? What is my award for having my faith put on trial? Well, if you'll embrace the fellowship of His suffering, it's a faith that is more pure and a walk with God that's more genuine and true. Number five, we see, truth number five, we see our assurance during trials. Look down with me at verse number 19 of 1 Peter chapter 4. The Bible says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. Listen, I don't know that you can take the English language and be more concise and clear and accurate as 1 Peter 4.19 is. Can we read it out loud together? Will you look at the words as we read it? Will you pay attention to what it says? Read it out loud with me together, right? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. You go outside and you look at the snow that sits outside. You look at the trees that are covered in it. You look at how perfect and orderly our world is, our universe is. You look up and say, that is the person I want to keep my soul. One day we're all going to be gathered into heaven. Let us put our faith and trust in Christ. All of life's trials and troubles will be gone. There will be no more furnace. There will be no more fire. The refining process will be over. And we will be made just like Christ. No sin nature. No more sin nature. No more unbelief that's got to be brought up to the surface through a hot fire and scraped off. No more of that. But while we go through trials... Let's commit our souls to God. My friend, tonight I'm here to ask you this. Are you bristling at trials? Do you step back and say, No, God, please, no! Why are you doing this to me? Or do you put your head down and say, God, my flesh does not like this. But my heart wants my faith purify. Is your faith on trial tonight? Has God put your faith on trial? Are you going to let Him prove your faith? Purify your faith? Or are you going to run? Are you going to run from it? Are you lifting up Christ through your trial? Are you lifting up Christ during your trial? Let me just make this statement, and I'll close it down. The more fierce the flame, the more pure your faith. The more fierce the flame, the more pure your faith. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. Lord, I pray tonight.